Well, good morning, City Church. I am not here to worship with you this morning, but I am excited about this morning's preacher. His name is Josh Moran, and Josh is familiar to some of us as he worshiped here at City for many, many years. Recently, Josh and his wife Katie and their family felt the call of God to leave the University of Virginia and to plant and pioneer a campus ministry at James Madison University. When I knew that I would be away this morning, I couldn't think of anyone that I would be happier to invite to fill City Church's pulpit this morning other than Josh Moran. So will you please, at this moment, give a warm City Church welcome to Josh Moran. Hey, what up City Church? How are you guys doing this morning? It is so good to be with you. It is an honor and a privilege to be up here. I am so excited. It feels like just a month ago that my wife and I packed up the moving truck and moved across the mountain. It's because it was a month ago. You're right. You can't get rid of me yet. You all thought that you got rid of me, but no, we are back and better than ever. I am so excited. We're so excited. The kids were excited to see all of you, to see all of your kids. And how many of you know what is going through my wife and I's mind right now is the same thing that is going through my kids' minds right now? Where are we going for lunch? We're back in town with the place that has the most restaurants per capita. We had the discussion. We began the discussion on the way over, and we're trying to decide how many places is too many places to go for lunch, or should we get, you know, go through the mall, get the to-go, and... Okay, never mind. Okay, great. We'll keep that in in the family, so you guys don't have to help us decide, and so I appreciate that, so... But I am excited to share with you this morning and a message that has truly shaped me during my time in Charlottesville and continues to shape me as we have moved, and and hopefully a message and a theme that will shape you for the rest of your life. And it turns out it's a theme and a message that shaped Jesus's life too, and so I feel like that makes it somewhat important. If you have your Bibles, you can begin to turn to Mark chapter 1. Last week, we looked at the book of Mark, and we began to see that everything in Mark is pointing towards Jesus. Every person in Mark, everything in Mark is is pointing towards Jesus and who he is. And as we see what faith looks like in the real world, we get to see this play out in the gospel of Mark as John the Baptist points to Jesus, as the disciples point to Jesus, as Jesus shows the world who he is. And so I am excited as we get to look at that together. But first, I have have a question for you. When you think about the real world, when you think about your life in the real world, what, what would be the words that you would describe that? Maybe overwhelmed, maybe chaos, Maybe constant hurry and and so many things going on. As I look around our world today, I see that there is constantly so much stuff vying for our attention. There are screens, there are people, there are things, there is so much around us that just feels like chaos. And it feels so loud. I, I know on the van ride over this morning, we have four small children. So we had a very loud van ride over this morning, okay? And then sometimes it feels like that is the way that my life is. It is loud. It is chaos. And can that really be it? Do we have to live these busy lives all the time? We find ourselves realizing that there's always more patients to see. There are always more cars to fix. There are always more recruits. There's always another coaching session. There's always this. There's always that. And do I even have time for vacation? 
What would happen if I took vacation? The company would fall apart without me, right? There is so much going on. There is so much that we have to do, and our lives feel so overwhelmed. We have SAT prep classes, and then we have to get ready to for our college entrance exams, and then we have to do this and this and this and so on and so on and so on, and does it ever stop? I can relate to this so much. Let me tell you what a typical Tuesday looked like for me this last semester, the spring semester. So Monday night, we would have Monday Night Live with the Kyle students. Woo, wow. That was, I've been gone for a month and you already hate me. That's all right. Um, we would have Monday Night Live. I'd find myself at cookout late into the evening, morning, night. And so about midnight, here I am driving home from a cookout go to sleep, get up, wake the kids up, get them ready for their day. Um, Then I would drive two kids to Stone Robinson where they would go to school, come back to the house, pick up Katie and the other two kids. We'd then head to First Baptist in order to drop a kid off at First Baptist, and then we'd start driving across the mountain to JMU. We had set up some discipleship meetings with some students who were interested in seeing Kyle start. And so we'd get over there. Hopefully, I would get there in time for my 10 o'clock appointment. Sometimes I would find myself running in while texting, hey, I'm almost there. I will be there. Don't worry. Then the 10 o'clock meeting would stop. And then for some reason, the next, how many of you guys know that 81 runs right through JMU? That, it is It's fascinating to me. And so then I find myself running across the interstate, over the bridge, over to the other meeting in order to get there in time for the next meeting. Hopefully I would be able to get lunch during that meeting because right after that meeting ended, my wife and I had an appointment with our realtor in order to see which houses had come on the market in that past week because it was a very fast market in Harrisonburg, just like it is in Charlottesville. We would then drive home all the way back to get home in time to get the two big kids off the bus. Luckily, somebody had picked Judah up from his school. We would then pick the kids up off the bus and not even have time to go inside the house because swimming lessons were starting very soon at the Y. We would drive to the Y, and of course, swimming lessons don't start at the same time. And so two of the kids started at one time, the other kid started the next time, all this while juggling the other kid who now wants, is not sure if she likes the pool or not, and so we're still trying to decide that. And then we would leave swimming lessons, and this is where like the marital, marital discussion would happen. I think the kids were just in the pool. They're clean. We could just take them straight on home. Turns out that's not true. And so then we have to go fight them in the shower in order to get them clean, in order to put them in the car, in order to get home, in order to hopefully get dinner, in order to hopefully have some semblance of family time and go through some type of routine in order to get the kids in bed on time because everybody knows that a well-rested child rests well, right? And then, so the kids are now in bed. I'm sitting outside their hallway making sure they don't come out of their rooms because that's life. That's real life, right? And I'm sitting there, and it's like, oh, my gosh, it is 8.30. It's 9 o'clock. I haven't checked email all day today. Oh, my gosh, we have a staff meeting tomorrow. I wonder what's on the agenda. Sorry, Pete. Um, And then I would find myself then having to go through all these other lists of tasks and things, and it was just chaos. But it was all good stuff, right? This is the way that it has to be. This is the way the world must be. When there are so many things happening, we just have to keep going at an unsustainable pace because it's all good, right? It feels like there's no other option. In the Bible, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way. I have to believe that he was tempted with a life of busyness also. 
In one of his books, Kevin DeYoung opens the book with the story of a woman who moves to America, and somebody asks her how it's been, and she says, it's really interesting that everyone shares the same name here. What, what do you mean everyone shares the same name? Oh, everyone I talk to, you know, as we get to talking, everyone just says the same thing. I'm busy. And so I don't know why that's everyone's first name. And they're like, oh, yeah, sorry, that's the status of our heart, not necessarily our first names. And so, like, as we turn in Mark's gospel, we're going to start reading in verses uh, 29 this morning. We're going to look at how Jesus responds to a life of busyness, a life of chaos, and what sustains him through that. We got my Bible right here. We'll start in verse 29. It says, uh, the NIV subheading says, Jesus heals many. Thanks, NIV. It says, as soon as they, this is uh, they being the disciples that Jesus has just called to himself, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. A couple of things I want to point out at our passage as we get started is the first one is, is uh, many scholars would call uh, Mark the gospel of immediacy, the ADHD gospel, the action-packed gospel. And kind of throughout our text, throughout our text this morning and throughout your, the rest of the time in Mark, you're going to see these words immediately, as soon as, immediately, and then, and then, and then. And Jesus is on constant mission. There is so much happening. Even this morning, we're going to cover three stories in just 15 verses. There, Mark has Jesus on the move constantly. I read a scholar one time, Scott McKnight, he said, he said, when you read Mark in the original Greek, you, you, can't, you can't even catch your breath because this word immediately happens so often. It is such a fast-paced gospel, much like our lives today. Fast-paced, and there's chaos constantly surrounding Jesus. Here we see that, that Jesus performs a miracle in one of his friend's mother-in-laws. And we see that, that he, Jesus you know, says something, touches her, as Scott alluded to in the prayer this morning, and immediately she is healed. And then as soon as that happens, she gets up, she waits on them, they have a good time, and then the whole town finds out what has happened. The whole town then comes out to meet Jesus, and Jesus is pressed with more demands on his time, more demands on his space, more demands on his ministry. And Jesus has compassion on the crowds. He heals many. He drives out demons. He moves in power amongst the people. And then what does the text tell us he does the next morning? Verses 35 says, Very early in the morning while it was still dark. How many of you have wondered as you read this, like, was this summertime or wintertime? Like, what, 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 when it's still dark, what does that mean? You know, like, when, when it says it was still dark, like, Jesus is telling me to get up early in the morning like I would prefer the summertime when the dark is a little bit later. Yeah, does that, does that sound good? Okay, great. So it's barely in the, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. 
Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus goes out in the morning, in the quiet of the day, in the stillness, and finds a solitary place. He has just had a night, a day of amazing ministry. He's had a night where he has done miraculous things. And in the very next morning, early in the morning, before the disciples even get up, Jesus leaves and goes out to the solitary place. And then he leaves that solitary place, going out to the other towns and villages. And then our next story happens in verse 40. It says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, you notice that word again, immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. It turns out that the, the, this man is much like a small child. This is a, um, another one of a, the themes in Mark is the secrecy motif, where Jesus is telling people not to tell him who he is. He's telling the demons not to announce. He's, he doesn't let them speak earlier in our passage because they knew who he was. And the reason Jesus is doing this is it's not like a reverse psychology, though that does seem to be working here. Don't do that. Okay, I'm going to go do it. <laughs> Great. Awesome. You're an eight-year-old child. Love it. Um, and then uh, we have this, this sense that what Jesus is saying is that I, it is not, the hour has not come. And that there are systems and power in place that Jesus is, is bumping up against as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the new King. And that what we know is that when systems of power are concerned about losing their power, they fight back. That Jesus is not ready for that to happen. There are still some things that he needs to do on earth before he would go to the cross. So Jesus is like, give me some more time. And so it's not that Jesus doesn't want people to know about him. It's that it's preparing for the right time and the right place. And so, so what we see in our passage is that Jesus heals another man with leprosy. And then the whole town again comes out. Oh, continuing. It says, instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So what we see is in our first story, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. The whole town comes out. He goes out early in the morning to the lonely place and prays. In our next story, we see that right after that, Jesus heals the man with leprosy. The whole town comes out again. Jesus has compassion on them. And then Jesus leaves there and goes to the lonely places. And then when I read these passages, when I look at the life of Jesus, the theme that continues to come up and will continue to come up as you study the Gospel of Mark this summer is that the lonely places are what sustained Jesus. As he looked at a loud and chaotic world around him, the only way that he could stay with that world, the only way that he could make a difference was, was to be able to have those times of solitude and silence with his father. 
in order to build a connection with his heavenly father, in order to have something, in order to go out into the world that is loud and chaotic. That in order, it is fascinating to me to see that these stories of power are surrounded by stories of loneliness, lonely places, and solitude. That it's in those moments that true strength was found for Jesus and that true strength can be found for us in order for us to live in the world that we live in today. What Jesus knew is that chaos could not affect him. That people's expectations on him could not affect him. That what people said that he should do and people telling him to do this or do that or go here or do that. And what Jesus knew is that he had to have that time. Isn't it fascinating that, that he sneaks off early in the morning. The disciples are still asleep. They don't even hear him leave. They don't know where he is. And then all of a sudden the town rushes in on the disciples. And you can just see them now. They're waking up. They're like, man, we kind of had a late night last night with the whole town coming out. So I thought we was going to sleep in. And like the next town over is now here. And they're looking for Jesus. And then they like in their chaos, they're now running around. And by the time they find Jesus, everyone is looking for you in the whole world. Everyone, Jesus, you, what are you going to do? And Jesus focused on his mission. Jesus sustained because of the time that he had just had with the Father is able to then go out into the surrounding towns to then heal another man with leprosy, to then reach into then, into then, into then. All surrounded by the lonely places, all surrounded by the times that he would have in silence and, and solitude with his heavenly Father. What we know is that busyness doesn't equal godliness. It just equals chaos. And I know that it's easy for us to think about our lives and to think about the lives that we live and to say that it's all good things. Like we must do these things because they're good. We have to, if, if we don't do this, who else will? We have to do this for our kids. We have to do this for our company. We have to do this for our family. We have to, we have to, we have to. But Jesus wasn't concerned with have tos. Jesus was concerned with the lonely places, with the places of silence and solitude in order to be able to be more effective in order to be able to be his true self in the places of loud and chaos. So as we begin to like move towards application, I want to talk about a few ways in which will help us as a church family continue to move towards silence and solitude in our day-to-day -day lives. The first one is that we must fight for silence and solitude. Here's the thing. No one is going to fight for silence and solitude for you. No one is going to allow you to have that unless you go out and get it yourself. And what we see in our passage this morning is that Jesus gets up early in the morning and leaves before the disciples are awake. And that is him fighting for silence and solitude in his life. Fighting for his time with his heavenly father. So like, I don't know what that's going to look like for you. I am not... Uh, interested in telling you when it has to be. I'm not interested in telling you that it has to be early in the morning, that it has to be late at night, that it has to be in the middle of the day. I would encourage you to have communion with Jesus all three of those times. 
but that what I am going to ask you is to consider what would be the best part of your day. When you think about this is when I'm really on, this is the first fruits of who I am, this is, this is when I am really ready and, and, and I can focus, I can study, this is the time for me. And I would encourage you to see what it would look like for you to give that time to Jesus. Maybe it's eight in the morning, maybe it's 5.45 in the morning. I don't know if you guys knew that, but 5.45 happens twice every day. Um, Maybe it's 8 at night. Maybe it's 10 at night. Um, it, it doesn't matter to me, but what would be that time that you would fight for, that you would schedule your day around, that you would schedule your week around, that you would begin to build rhythms in your life to find yourself in those places of silence and solitude? And I would encourage you as, as housemates, as husbands and wives, as partners, as, as you are in life together in whatever living situation you have to fight for that time for each other. I know that in our house that uh, it, like we can be surrounded by chaos. We're in the middle of a renovation right now. We uh, sold a house that we built ourselves four years ago in order to buy a 1920s fixer-upper, which has just been fantastic, let me tell you. Uh, and there's just like so much happening all the time. In every room, there's still more that needs to be done, but that Katie and I have to find a way to fight for each other in order to have that time with Jesus, that we'll be better We'll be better spouses. We'll be better parents. We'll just be better people when we have spent that extravagant time with Jesus, when we have, we have spent that focused time with Jesus. And so we give each other permission to do that. We have a conversation about when it'll be and how it could be and how we can make that possible. Oh, it's my kid on the screen. <laughs> like, she's like, she's, I'm like, I, I think I'm telling the truth right now. Um, it's chaos, right? <laughs> and so, like, we fight for each other in order to have that time. And what could that time look like for you? What could it look like for you in order to have that time set aside that you built your day, that you built your week around? I'm a huge calendar guy. I love calendars. I love knowing what I'm doing. I like writing things down. Um, and so I like to put that in my calendar. This is when I'm going to do that. And so I'm not going to schedule another appointment during it, but I'm going to have that time blocked off, and I'm going to fight to keep that time blocked off. Secondly, what I'm going to encourage you to do is to talk. Surprise. Talk to God. The text says that they found Jesus praying. Presumably part of this was that he was talking to his heavenly father. And some of you, maybe you have an established prayer life. Maybe some of you, you're on the journey of establishing a prayer life. And that it sometimes can feel, um, I remember when I was first learning how to pray, I felt like it had to be like in a certain octave. Is that the right word? Um, like if I was going to pray, it had to be significantly lower than what I taught. Oh, thou, thou holiest of holies. Be thou though, and I for some reason like reverted to the King James. Um, and so I would encourage you to just begin to have a conversation with God, begin to talk with Jesus, share his, your concerns, share his concerns. 
Talk to them about what's going on in your day. Plan your day with Jesus. Just talk to him. Tell them about your family. Tell them about your work. Tell them about your life. Tell them what you've been dreaming about. And just begin to have a conversation with Jesus. Invite him on the journey of life with you. Follow him and talk with him about what is going on. And then thirdly, and this one has honestly been the hardest one for me, is I would encourage you to find the time and the space to listen. To just sit in silence and to just listen. I know that in every relationship that I have, that the conversation is a two-way street. In order to have a relationship with Jesus, in order to have a relationship with the divine, that we need to have times where we are talking, but we also need to have times that we are listening to have extended periods of silence in our lives, to hear what the Holy Spirit would say, to feel what the Holy Spirit would ask us to feel, and to be led in ways that the Holy Spirit would lead us. This has been tremendously difficult for me. That I have found that that there are so many things that I'm thinking about. There are so many things that I want to talk about. There are so many things going on in my house. There are so many things going on at my job. There are so many things around me. There's notifications. There's alerts. There's news. I feel like I'm constantly behind on everything. And to just take time to just sit in silence is so hard, but also so good. That that silence and solitude is what can prepare me for the chaos and the loud of life. So I'm going to give you a few pointers specifically about silence and finding silence in your life. First, you got to find a place. There's got to be a place where you can do these three things, where you can have that silence, that solitude, where you can talk and where you can listen. There has to be a place that would be free from distraction. No one's going to be walking through. Maybe it would be in a park. Maybe you'd go on a walk. Maybe it would be in your bedroom. Maybe it would be in your living room. Maybe it would be in your car outside of work as you pull into the parking lot. Maybe you turn everything off. Well, maybe you leave the air conditioner on. It's up to you. Um, And, like, find that place where you could do it. Second, I would say to turn off all the outside distractions, to turn off your phone, to to turn off the notifications, to turn off the radio, to just to not listen to worship music and to just be there. Thirdly, I would say to set an alarm. Okay, I know I just told you not to have your phone and I meant it, but I mean like you can, you can turn the notifications off and then you can set an alarm. Because here's the thing, when you begin to, to practice silence in your life, uh, one minute is going to feel like 35 minutes. And so what's going to happen is about every 15 seconds, you're going to check your phone and be like, yo, what time is it? Like, I don't want to be late for my next appointment. And so what, what I would find myself doing is, okay, I'm going to have three minutes of silence this morning. And I would sit down to have three minutes of silence, and I would try to have three minutes of silence, and I would be like, yo, what time is it? Okay, okay, I still got uh, two minutes and 45 seconds left. Oh, two minutes and 35 seconds life. <laughs> Made it 10 seconds that time. Um, and, and so like I have found that if I set an alarm, I can know that I can walk away. I can be in that silent moment. And then when the alarm goes off, I know that the time is up. And then I would encourage you to work yourself up the ladder. To not try to start with 30 minutes of silence. That is not where you should start but to find a starting point that feels comfortable to you and then begin to increase it as 
as the Lord would lead you as you feel more comfortable. So start with two minutes. Work your way up to three minutes, then four minutes. And then maybe you'd be able to do half an hour by the end of the summer, by the end of the calendar year, in order to have that time with Jesus. Because here's what could happen. Like, think about what Jesus' life was like, the chaos surrounding him, the loudness surrounding him, that, that as he found that time for, for himself and for his father, to be in communion with him, it prepared him in order to go out and do the ministry works that he was doing. And as we think about our lives, that we have chaos in our lives, we have chaos at work, we have chaos in our families, everything is loud, and that we can be better prepared to enter into that world if we were to find those times of silence and stillness and communion with our Heavenly Father. It could change our own hearts. It could change our families, the way we interact with each other. It could change our community. It will change our city. It will change our city church family. And it could change the world as we engage more and more with the King of Heaven who wants to know us. So this morning, before we close in worship, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm not going to pray to close out. I'm going to give you a chance to pray and close out. I'm going to give you a chance to sit in stillness, to sit in silence, and to begin ourselves on that journey. So in a room this size, I would probably recommend that you close your eyes. Um, Closing your eyes is not necessary, but I do believe in a room this size with so much going on around us that closing our eyes and kind of getting everything out of the way right now would be a good starting point for us so that we can stay out of the loud, that we can stay out of the chaos and that we can just have that time of silence and stillness in order to enter back into that world of chaos. The Genesis story tells us that over creation there was chaos and Jesus' voice speaks order into that chaos. That that is what I'm hoping for you this morning. And so if you know Jesus, I'm going to invite you to listen to him. If you don't yet know Jesus, you're on the journey of following Jesus, we're going to give you a chance just to kind of sit and see if he would speak to you. And so we're going to give you just a, it's not going to be very long, just going to be a minute or two of silence and stillness.